Well, good morning from me. I'm Jo. For those of you who don't know me, I'm on the team here at Trinity. And we're going to jump straight back into Luke's Gospel this morning, just where George left off last week. We're kind of in this sort of... Um, yeah, this episodic journey through Luke's gospel, seeing how Jesus' ministry takes off. And we've kind of heard about this amazing encounter um, with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And before that, we heard about Jesus casting out demons in the synagogue. But before we kind of get um, back into this idea of um, what does it look like for Jesus to have authority right at the beginning of his ministry, why don't I just pray for us? And then we'll get stuck into today's reading. And Lord, we thank you, God, that you are full of power this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you are full of love this morning. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as I speak, you would just deposit your love and your power into our hearts. God, we can do nothing without you. Lord, forgive us when we try. Amen. Amen. So cue our next episode. Now, you can be forgiven in the Gospels for skipping over these little moments, these little verses like the ones we've just heard from Adrian. They happen a lot, you see, don't they? They happen a lot, these little verses. And the disciples aren't always big on the detail. They don't always like linger in on the sort of scene-setting moments that we're maybe more used to in our sort of American-style dramas. John and I have been watching this program this past week, and... It is an amazing program. It's called The World's Toughest Race. And it's, as it says on the tin, it is literally a documentary sort of depicting this journey of 66 teams as they try and um, do this world, literally the world's toughest race in Fiji. And if you have any appetite for adventure, I'd highly recommend it as great viewing. But one of the things that I found fascinating about watching this documentary is that you hear different ways, different sort of cultures, storytelling techniques. You've got teams who are from all across the world. My two favorites, the two contrasting ones for me, are the American teams and the Estonian team. The difference in which these two teams tell stories is incredible. You've got the Estonians on one side who are, you know, incredibly succinct. They, they just say it as it is. You know, it was, just, it was just hard, but we just did it. We just got on with it, and that was it. What's, what, are you, what are your questions for? They're, they're just so factual. They don't sort of beat around the bush. They just say it as it is. And then you've got these American teams, and the, the difference is, is astonishing. They literally, I don't think one person on an American team didn't cry. They all cry. They all give you a sort of background narrative. You're sort of right there with them. There's usually some sort of cliche motto that they're kind of, you know, it's them against the world. There's no detail that you don't get to hear about. And it's a, you know, a bit like this with the, with the gospel writers. You, you have the sense from some of these gospel writers that actually they're a bit more Estonian in their style. They don't give us a whole lot to go with sometimes. And Luke is actually one of the ones that gives us a bit more detail. Mark doesn't give us as much. But we have to work a little bit harder sometimes, just like I did when I was watching these Estonians, thinking, what's going on in their hearts? What's, what's going on? How do I imagine what's going on for them in this race? And we have to do a little bit of that this morning in our text. We've only got a couple of verses to work with, but I think there's something really crucial to see here. 
So if you're with me this morning, let's crack on and see, imagine this scene, get into it. So the first words are really crucial. As the sun was setting, at sunset, people came to Jesus. Now this day was the Sabbath day, so this was literally the first point that people could actually, in the law, come to Jesus. They had been stuck waiting, not been able to do anything until this point. So you see the desperation. As soon as they could, basically is the other words, as soon as they could, as the sun was setting, they went to Jesus to be healed. They brought their sick friends and family and themselves and came to Jesus. And Jesus did not disappoint them. It says in the text that he lays his hands on each one and heals them. Now you could be forgiven for just skipping over that. Jesus heals a lot of people in the Gospels. It's one of his main things that he does. But I love this one little detail and we can't miss it. Jesus lays his hands on each one of them. I imagine it's quite a big group that have come to Jesus. And yet he chooses to not just do the sort of spectacular group healing. Surely that would have looked a bit more powerful. I think it probably would be what I would have done. It would have been effective, just as effective as healing each one individually. It would have meant that he would have been able to clock off early. This was the evening, remember. I'm sure he wanted to get to bed. And we've been talking about this, this idea of Jesus' authority and what it looked like for Jesus to carry authority, maybe differently to how we understand it. And I think this is a key moment in answering that question. See, Jesus, he takes time to stop for the one, to lay his own hands. The holiest man that has ever walked the earth chooses to lay his own hands on each diseased person and heal each one. Authority for Jesus, it looked like power. He healed people, he cast out demons, he transformed people's lives but it also looked like love. It looked like looking a person in the eye. It looked like maybe even asking their name, knowing them individually. He stops for the one. This makes me think of a couple of friends in our church community who live next door to a family who don't speak English. And through lockdown, they befriended this family almost by mistake, I think, as the kids were playing out of their, outside their bedroom window. This was right in the middle of lockdown when we weren't really able to have any communication with anyone else normally. And, but rather than hunkering down, sort of ignoring what was going on around them, these friends sort of started to realize that this family wasn't in a great shape and actually this family really needed some food to put on the table. But rather than ignoring this, this these friends of mine, they, they stopped for the one and they chose to step into the gap and give provision to this family in, phys in physical need. And they loved this family, they brought hope into this household. They chose to not ignore what was in front of them. And actually that got that family through lockdown. And as Danielle said, we've already heard this morning, we've heard Danielle saying, you know, just do what's in front of you. What's in front of you? It makes me ask the question, who's in front of me? Who's in front of you this morning? Who can you stop for? Because authority, it doesn't come from this big performance, this sort of what people see you do. It comes from what you do when no one's looking. It comes from the integrity of your heart. It comes from stopping for the one when no one else notices it. And then we come to this sort of strange interaction in the text. We've heard about Jesus healing people. 
And then there's this strange, strange encounter between Jesus and the demons that he was casting out of people. Jesus rebukes the demons when they announce that he is the son of God. He tells them to stop telling people that. But why? Why does he do that? You, you might just say, well, the demons, he didn't want anything evil to be declaring who he was. He didn't need that. But actually, this um, approach of Jesus, this almost secretive approach about revealing who he is, he doesn't just stop with the demons. He says that to the disciples in different parts of the Gospels too. But why does he do it? Why does he not want it to be declared from the rooftops? This is the beginning of his ministry. Surely he would want people to know who he was. He would want the authority that would come from people knowing that he was the Messiah they'd been waiting for. And maybe they would follow him more quickly as a result. But it just didn't seem to be how Jesus wanted it done. But why? Well, in order to answer this question, we need to know a little bit more of the background of what was going on here. You see, the Jews, they'd been waiting a really long wait for this Messiah. It was a deep hope within them that a Messiah would come and save them from the Roman oppression. And with hope comes a lot of expectations. With a long-awaited hope comes a lot of expectations of what that Messiah would look like, of who that Messiah would be. And most Jews were looking for the kind of king who would come in and release them from their chains. They were expecting it to look a lot like their ancestors when Moses freed the Israelites from Egyptian oppression. They were looking for that sort of political freedom fighter revolutionary type. And many Jews actually chose to just ignore the Old Testament prophecies that came before Jesus to tell of actually what this Messiah would look like. We read about that in Isaiah, the suffering servant. But this kind of misunderstanding, we might say, it might be a little bit like if, if you just started as, as a prime minister of a new country and, and it quickly became apparent to you that the country that had um, sort of voted you in had actually completely misunderstood the manifesto that had got you into office in the first place. It was, it was almost that moment of the gut-sinking moment that you think, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to go out there and tell them that actually what they think I'm going to do is very different to what I had in mind. All these hopes, these expectations for a particular vision on your shoulders, I don't think they'd be very happy and you wouldn't be either. And these Jews, they were in a really similar position. It'd probably be a kind way to put it that they had misunderstood what their coming Messiah would look like and the kingdom that he would herald. So we have this heavy expectation from the Jews. So rather than shouting from the rooftops that he was this hoped-for Messiah, we actually get a Jesus who wanted to reshape what the Messiah meant, what people thought about the Messiah and who he is. He wanted to reshape it, not on what people thought the Messiah should look like, but what his father said the Messiah should look like and the mission that he had for him. Rather than pleasing people, Jesus actually spent three years of ministry teaching and showing anyone who would listen to him this different way, the upside down kingdom. I think it must have been a high point for Jesus when he asked Peter, who do you say I am, Peter? And Peter, having walked with Jesus for a little while now, was able to say, you are the Messiah. I believe it. You're the Messiah. See, by that point, Jesus had seen, Peter had seen Jesus for long enough 
that he had, he'd got this new vision for what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. He'd finally got it. And this kind of Messiah wasn't the freedom fighter type, although he does bring the deepest kind of freedom. This kind of Messiah was marked by sacrificial love. This kind of Messiah would need to face humiliation and suffering on the cross, not hailed as a new political leader. So we see in this passage, Jesus rejecting the expectations being placed on him and ultimately refusing to be defined by anyone other than his father in heaven. See, Jesus shows us this incredibly important lesson this morning. If you try and gain authority from fulfilling what other people's expectations or opinions of you, from doing what you think will make other people happy or like you for, you will be chained to the wrong God. You see, Jesus knew that true kingdom authority is not granted by men or women on earth, but by his Father in heaven. And Jesus refused to be defined by anyone but his Father's voice. We see it in the same chapter just a few verses before, when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. His second temptation, I'm going to read it to us. It says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, Jesus' life embodies for us the truth that kingdom authority comes only from submitting to the will of his holy good father. He's defined by this one voice and this only voice will he serve. If we put anyone's expectations or opinions above what God says about us, we lose our integrity and quickly follows our authority. See, the authority of Jesus, as we've seen this morning, it is powerful, but the source of his power is an everlasting love. It's the love that is rooted in the love that the Father has for Jesus, not the love that others have for him. And the love that his Father has for him defines everything that comes after and goes on to ultimately define us all. It's the kind of love that gives him the capacity to stop for the one, to look each one in, in the eyes and to heal each one. And as Danielle said earlier, only being rooted in love can you do any of the things that you're put on this earth to do. I wonder if you know this morning the Father's love for you. We can grow dry and weary, can't we? We can grow despondent. The voice can get quieter and quieter the embrace can feel further and further away and yet the reality this morning is that the father loves you the reality this morning is that the father's arms are wide open for you and that his voice speaks over you and defines your life I wonder if you can hear his voice this morning because if you can't hear his voice over you I promise you that other voices will be defining you. So why don't we just take a moment, as we come into land, why don't we just take a moment 
just to pray. You might want to just hold out your hands in readiness to hear your Father's voice over you.